0: Friends, welcome to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart has been created to be known, loved and understood. So this is the place where women can share their story. Welcome to episode 87. In today's episode, I chat with Paige Ryan. She is a A design consultant and she is the author of two books Uh, the first book is love the house you're in and revived and renovated a real-life conversation of the intersection of home faith and everything in between I think that pretty much sums up our conversation we spoke about exactly that home faith addiction family life and pretty much everything else in between um, I think you're going to really like the conversation. Paige has a beautiful way of expressing herself. Um, that there, there is a little um, audio problem, so please bear with it because the content is really good, even though sometimes it is a little bit hard to hear. Paige, um, if you enjoyed this episode or it helped you, please consider sharing it with a friend. That way, women come to know that they are not alone in their struggles in life. Um, I hope this episode blesses you and have a really wonderful week. Bye. Today on the podcast I have a wonderful guest who is on the other side of the world. It is morning for her and quite late for us over here in Australia but I would love to welcome Paige Ryan to the podcast. Welcome, Paige.
1: Jessica, thank you for having me. And yes, I don't wanna say good morning, I'm gonna say good evening to you. Nice to see you.
0: Uh, well, it may not be nice to see me, but thank you for
1: being so kind. <laughs> no,
0: um, before we dive into the conversation, Paige, I would love for you just to tell us a little bit about who you are and what your life looks like right now.
1: Oh, that's, that's a wonderful intro <laughs> question. Um, as you said, my name is Paige Ryan. I am a wife and mother to four children. I came into the Catholic Church uh, three or four years ago. It was before COVID and that my time is messed up, but I believe I'm four years old in the church. Um, and <clears throat> uh, I have been interested in and, and, and really obsessed with even all things home and design since I can remember. I have childhood stories of moving furniture and stuff. So I've been always been interested in, in sort of the physical space surrounding me. Um, I got my start, believe it or not, on HGTV in America, which is a, a network of shows home shows. And so I worked on that show for five years and up until I had my first son. And um, along and on, on a parallel path, I've also been in addiction recovery for about 25 years. So the idea of you know, being exposed to design on, on television and the media side, and my recovery, and then my journey into Catholicism. I was really discerning that as I wrote a book in response to being on HGTV. It's all culminated so that today, I think of my work and my purpose here is to encourage women encourage women in their home, really with their faith as their guide. I think there's so many other guides we can have. I've certainly used many different guides, different magazines, different famous designers, um, uh, d- design sort of theories. But I think now that I've come into the church, I understand there's a lot to say about the home. And it's changed my whole perspective on how we can have a conversation and, and, and make a home. And it's just so much more multi-dimensional and um, fruitful than sort of the original sort of ideas about home that I came to. And, I, and also just even in being a person in recovery, the home is, is everything for me. Because that's where we do our greatest healing and our greatest revealing of ourselves, mm-hmm. and God, I think. Um, even sometimes greater than insurance. So that's where I am that's what my life, life looks like um as I said I'm, I'm a full-time mom but I'm also an author I've written two books and I'm also developing a course where we can integrate faith-driven interior design which sounds like a crazy statement right now but I'm hoping it's very usable and
0: fantastic wow so you're only new to the church that's awesome you're a four-year-old
1: I'm a four-years-old yes yes and in recovery we talk about like how old you are at your sobriety date so I'm I'm about 25 in my in terms of just knowing God and then he really revealed himself as beyond what what I was finding in 12-step rooms so I'm four
0: (laughs) so can I ask was it alcohol was it AA Where you
1: recovery that's so a great question. I am in multiple twelve-step programs. My uh-huh. gateway program was actually food addiction. I had uh-huh. um, a combination of an eating disorder and alcoholic uh, alcoholism in college, but was not ready to put down was not ready to put down alcohol first. My first program was Overeaters Anonymous here in the states, um, and then had to ultimately it's just been giving up. <laughs> it's been a giving up. I had to give up. Um, sugar and all kinds of disordered eating then I gave up alcohol I also had to surrender um, relationship with money I, there's a lot of things so it's a stripping back um, taking away vices and taking away coping mechanisms which are other than God um, mm-hmm. they don't call it a God-sized hole for nothing because I put a lot of stuff in here <laughs> it's, it only really can inhabit God uh, for healing so, wow. so yeah,
0: and so of- so did that see my father is a recovery alcoholic um, and he, we moved 17 times as a family. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. So, so he would buy the worst house on the best street. Um, so he gave up alcohol when my youngest sister was born. Oh, no, he, sorry. He became a Catholic when my youngest sister was born, but he gave up alcohol the day I was born. <laughs> I was a sick baby. And um, he, Said if there's one thing I can do for that child is not pick up another drink, um, but I mean I wasn't maybe I was the catalyst, but there was he was you know, it was my mother actually not me, but you know, that's the time frame, um, but he dived. I think you always have that addictive mentality, right? Am I wrong? And you you <laughs> right? So he then uh, anything he does he'll go and you know. He, he will knock, I remember as a kid he'd been knocking down walls of the house before we'd even exchange the contracts. So um, he just has to be doing something all the time. And houses, doing up houses was his thing and he was he is so good at it. He still is very good at it but it became maybe another addiction. Would you agree with that or maybe I'm being too harsh on him or it was just the creative out that he needed?
1: No, I think there are a lot, a lot of things we know now about, about addicts and people who have a propensity for compulsion um, uh, and uh, and addictive behavior. And a lot of times there's, there's restlessness. A lot of times there's, um, there's a profound capacity for grace. but There's also profound capacity for destructiveness or there's a profound capacity for something. So I would think when I first got into recovery, I also realized a lot about, I came to know myself literally for the first time ever. And I sort of knew I, I am a creative person. I have, I, I love to create and make things. And I kind of knew that, but I wasn't in touch with where that could go. And I just became, I had become, I had be, early in my recovery, I I, I spray painted anything inside. I, I, I was refinishing stuff. I was picking stuff off, of the, <laughs> off the side of the road. I read I just was like, I was gonna paint this, and I was gonna wallpaper this. So I was sort of a project addict, and it was a healthy place for me to put that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to do that today, and I'm grateful for that. I still very much enjoy that, and I enjoy diving in. And I think one of the one of the most important things in making home is confidence and like being like not so averse to risk. So I both of those things I'm, I think are gifts from God, but I don't need to take that out. Now, now, Need more time with God and less doing of anything, right? right? So there's more, more, more stillness and more just being with our Lord as opposed to sort of um, trying to, you know, run the hamster wheel in any direction. So that's a long answer to say. I, I agree. I think,
0: Mm.
1: yeah. I mean, I think we have busy heads as addicts, as as people, and not, not just addicts, but people who have just sometimes a busy mind and sometimes doing really quiet stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. um. So now going right back, were you, did you find God in recovery, in addiction, in recovery programs, you know, like the 12-step programs? Is that where God was introduced into your life or did you know of a God before that?
1: No, that's where I met God. I didn't. I grew up in a very secular way. My parents are lovely people, um, but they don't, they, love me so much, but they weren't able to offer me a faith life because they don't really have one. I mean, I think they have a little bit more now, but at the time that was not a focus or a reality. And so I grew up in a very secular way, um, raised to be a superhuman in athletics and academics. And I went to, you know, just college and played basketball. And I did exactly as I was told was the path, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I just, and with total self-reliance and total, we just, couldn't believe like why why do I keep you know why do I have this sort of self-destructive like ultimately when things got hard for me uh, you know I would eat to the point where I, you know it was very painful or I just I just had like very little self-control in certain circumstances with alcohol I I couldn't have a couple of drinks like somebody else I I I blacked out mm. um, I I was very thirsty and very hungry <laughs> and I le- I I came to know that wasn't for food or alcohol that was a hunger and a thirst that is still in me today. But mm. could, it was no match for booze or food. I mean, in some ways, like food and, boo, and it's just there's no match for what I've got, the ache I've got, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. so i learning that there's, you know, in the 12 step programs, it's the only requirement is that you believe there's something greater than you. Mm. There's something greater than you, which actually, as someone raised to be a superstar, yeah, that was a profound moment. That was my see that it just has to be greater than me. And I really felt like the Lord was very patient with me and willing to be unknown for many years i mean i was in those, those programs for 10 years before i considered that it was jesus and it was our lord and heaven I, I just and the father god the father i feel like there was i couldn't really i wasn't ready for that i kind of grew up also with in a secular culture where christianity was kind of like looked down upon like you're a christian but like don't talk about it or don't really be it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah let's not really be too into it we're not we don't want to be like a church goer or like a bible be we don't we don't be like that Um, so, and I, and I, and so I was very resistant and I, I hated the church. I hated anything I read in the news about it. And so it, the Lord was very patient with me. Um, but through many other sort of miraculous moments, he revealed himself. It was unmistakable to me that he was knocking on my door in so many ways. Um, and again, and it, it took 20 years because I was in recovery for 20 years before I came to the church.
0: Yeah. He's so patient. He is so patient. It's so beautiful. Um, that's amazing. So let's, let's now go forward. Uh, um, specifically in home, HGTV, yeah? So you've always had a passion for design. How how I, I, I have lived, as I said, in 17 homes with my family. Um, because my dad always was buying the worst house in the best street, doing it up and moving on. The longest I think I spent in a home was, I think, four years. Um, And I remember seeing, you know, these families that never moved and they even, my auntie even had um, in their kitchen, in the doorway to their kitchen, etchings of heights of her children. And I always used to think... I would like that, you know. I, I want to be. So, I want to be somewhere to create memory. Like I had lots of memories, but not a place that was permanent. And I think that kind of brings a bit of instability. Um, could you speak into that a little bit of, of of what actually home is and what it should be?
1: Well, I, that touches my heart a little bit because. I have a lot to say, Jessica, about the culture and what secular culture has to t- is constantly telling us what the home is and how home shows and the home improvement industrial complex has ballooned into this sort of monster um, influence in our lives. And it tells us always we should be looking to bigger and better, always. We should buy next, we should buy up when we're building, build as big as you can. Um, you can always be improving, and you should because that protects your asset and it's an investment. In that, you know. And in the states, it's a, it's a big deal—not in every market, but in a lot of markets—to um, to make sure your home is maximized so that when you do sell, so, you make money. Um, and on the economic, my husband's in it has an MBA. Okay, that makes sense from from a math and economic standpoint. But what you're talking about is the home primarily as a refuge, hmm. as a place where you know, we are loved and accepted and safe on a primary basis. And although you can obviously move a thousand times and still maintain that, I do think it's harder. And I do think that, um, I even spoken with a friend about how, you know, renovating, you know, takes away an old space that may have meant a lot to a child. (laughs) That may have meant something like the old dingy kitchen, which to an adult eye seems and small and it's not white and it's not open and it's not airy to that to your child that was where they could have breakfast and connect with their sibling and um talk to you and it was perfect it was the perfect size <laughs> like what that was where th- what they remember that was very comfortable and I think the word comfort is like it's, it's in deeply embedded into home and I think a lot of times our our family members our children our family, find comfort in things where the outside world says well that's not okay it's not big enough, it's not outdated because that's my worst, I hate hate that word so much when we talk about homes being dated. um, And I, one of my biggest influences, I mean, I think around one of my my biggest influences are like Architecture Digest and Sally Clarkson. I don't know if you know. Sally Clarkson Clarkson is a singer? Oh no, that's Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) Sally Clarkson, that's different Clarkson. I don't think they're related. Sally Clarkson is an American author. I think she lives in, in the UK now, but she talks about home in from such a Christian perspective. It's so beautiful what she writes. I mean, she her her book is Oh, what's so, her book? It, it's just about how to have a life-giving home. It she does talk about aesthetics a little bit, but aesthetics are like 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 a top layer. And the humans and the way we set it up and the ritual and the tradition, and the, there's so much before we get to well, which color should I paint my walls? Yeah. And I think we've gotten yeah. away from that. I mean, the home as a refuge, like, and she says this a lot in her work, the home is a refuge. And I, I say that as well. Primarily the home is a refuge um, from the outside world. It's not the outside world, it's the inside world. And so the outside world tells us, we gotta be here, we gotta do this, we gotta prove ourselves, we can't reveal our true selves, we gotta keep the, keep the mask on, we gotta do all these things, we gotta maintain, we gotta present, we gotta, you know, and then the inside world is where we're truly ourselves. We're truly comfortable. We're vulnerable. We allow true like, feelings of the day to come out. We allow ourselves to be unraveled. And so the home has to allow for all that. It shouldn't look anything like the outside world. And so I get really irritated when I talk about how what we're constantly being told what it should be by the, out, by the world. And as a Christian, the worldliness of what it tells us, that actually there's a disconnect there. Um, yes, we're using the the materials and the furnishings of the outside world we're making our choices in the marketplace but I think there's a lot of work to do before we get there yeah Uh, um, creating a home and of course you know as a mother I mean there's a lot of work to do to build a home that has nothing to do with colors or furnishes or textures And, and I love those too but there's sort of primary work to do with them.
0: yeah yeah there's nothing I know um You can go on a holiday and you can experience the most amazing things, but there's nothing like getting home. It just has that, you know, I I know for some people maybe home is not a safe place, but for the majority of us, home is, it doesn't matter what it looks like, it is home. And I think we're constantly trying to sanitise home, like make it, very um regulated and perfect and and life isn't perfect so home shouldn't be too perfect right
1: oh yeah i, I <laughs> right before we got on this morning um or today i got a catalog which is very popular here in the states i don't know if you guys have it it's called serena and lily no. Okay. No, I haven't it. it's it's <laughs> it's very beautiful it's the rooms are very white and very blank. And so it's completely wiped clean of not only reality, but most certainly children, Mm -hmm. um, you know, family life. Uh, There's not ever. And so I I can look at that and I use this all the time. I, you know, I did a lot more private client work earlier in my career and I, I, I've put things from this catalog in people's homes. I like their furnishings, but I can look and isolate these items and say, yes, I want this, or no, I don't want this. But I think a lot of women look at a catalog like that and think, oh, that's the standard. Mm-hmm. All the, the, the white walls, the, the completely large spacious room with, I mean, to be honest, like, this is not how people live. People have more things than this. <laughs> you know, they have a family. And like, no story, no, there's no heritage, there's no just the blankness and sort of as I think you were these the word sanitized or mm. kind of cleared out it's kind of um, genderless right you say genderless yeah yeah it very neutralized in many directions right yeah it's, it's trying to
0: like make us all you know gender all the same basically
1: yeah, yeah because I think and, and look I think there is a balance, I actually love the balance of the masculine and the feminine in the home. I think there has to be that. We can't have a totally feminized home, but we also can't have like masculine. Like, like we have to have a balance of those two things as we do in a family. But yeah, I think there's, I've never thought about it that way, but it is, Um, it's just stripped down, I think, from from any of the like the, the personality of a human being and the story and my work a lot. And actually that was part of my first book was like, let's use your story as, the wellspring of ideas for the home because what we do in our culture is we look to these different apps or home shows or magazines and that's let's get okay let's see i like this i don't like this well this is the look i'm looking for this is my style and it's all out here as opposed to looking within
0: yeah this is my mood board but actually it doesn't
1: fit my life really whose, whose mood is it i mean i know <laughs> I don't yeah. think it's ultimately to say okay but see, and I, and there's a purpose for that. Like, if a designer is listening to this, they're like, "Well, you have to do, you have to put the, the materials in composition to look." I get that, but but maybe let's pick colors and materials and papers and fabrics and stuff from your life. Where have you vacationed? Where have you traveled? Where are you from originally? Maybe you have a relative that's from a specific place that has a particular kind of marble or a wood or a tree or plant or something. Let's yeah. draw from real life. As opposed to pulling the mood board, because ultimately, if you don't, you're gonna pull the mood board from just what everybody else is doing based on what's in front of your eyeballs. And we're
0: storytellers, right? So maybe our house should tell a story. 100%.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I, yeah. And it's the story of what's really going on, you know. Your story. Your story. Yeah. we we, There's an American artist called Norman Rockwell. I think he's American. Um, And his stories are, his art is all like, scenes of life this is from like the 1940s and 50s I believe but it's still true today and mm. I have I have his plates in my china cabinet and they're almost free in thrift stores here because nobody wants them but the stories are really true I mean of like boys beating up each other and like this little funny scenes of life and tired parents and all kind of very very funny there's always something that's kind of like heartwarming but also funny and a little ironic and I just feel like, yes, that's a great way. Being a storyteller in your home, there's so much to say.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it allows others to tell their story. Like if they come in, it gives a talking point. You can, you know, they can see your story around and it gives you conversation. It gives you um, relationship, right?
1: Well, also everything we have has a connection to somebody else. And so that's why it's to me, yes, I know sometimes I'll go into a store and buy something cute that I like that has no connection to anything. I've done that, but less and less because I'm sitting here at my desk and I have a frame from a huge piece of art that I took the art out and I just put the frame up because I love the frame. It's from my father-in-law, from my, my my in-law's house, and when they moved, I took it. Well, he's now here, you know. And I've got little dimensions that are throughout the house, and I had this one antique dealer tell me there really are people in these things. There really are. We have there's other people. so of them is in these things. And so when your story is told with relatives, ancestors, connections, you know, to pe- like that, there's something that's very life-giving there. That when you have blank walls and a whole lot of nothing, it's just not there. It's it's like, it, it's just the life's been removed.
0: Yeah, totally. See, we're renovating and it has been a very long process. It's been like four years in the making or maybe more, but it has I used to get quite frustrated and um, annoyed by it, but it has been an actual gift because I am totally detached. It is going to be beautiful um, and it's going to be very functional, but it's now, I'm totally detached from it in a materialistic kind of way. I now see it it, when it happens, it will happen. When it's finished, it will be finished. Um, but it is going to be a refuge, you know, for it's, it's not going to be a show home. It will be lovely and very, um, you know, it, it will be lovely, but I have, I'm not attached to it. I want it to be a place where I can bring others in to welcome others, to, um, to not showcase my home, but to make it a place of encounter. I think it's it's been I remember sitting um, in our church because in COVID our churches were all locked I don't know whether that happened in the states but um, and I had a key to our church and I used to go over every day I still go over every day but um, I remember sitting there just talking to Jesus about life and you know And I was quite anxious about this renovation. When is it going to, you know, why have I got this concrete slab that's been out the back of my house for three years and hasn't been touched, you know, just conversation. And I could hear somebody hitting like it was a carpenter. And um, I knew it it was I'm I'm building something greater than what you think, you know. And I realised this is bigger than me. You know, it's not about, it has nothing to do with making a, a, a big home. It's creating something that he wants and it's in his perfect timing. So just wait. You know, there's, 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 there's such goodness and um, grace in waiting and being able to actually see his plan and not wanting to have it now. I think it's, it's, it's been really hard but really good. Um, and I'm totally detached from it, (laughs) which can be, you know, annoying for my children because they keep asking me, when's the builder coming back? I said, I don't know, no idea, (laughs) Um, but it's been, it's been a pruning actually.
1: There's two two things you said there that I just, I love. Number one, detachment is so important because we have become so attached to our home all that it symbolizes, all that it shows others, all that it's worth. You know, we're very attached to like, you know, people are very reticent to have people over because they're so attached to what their home looks like. And again, we're shown like the sanitized room and it doesn't look like this when you have even one child. I mean, and, and, the, and it, like the stage of our life is very present in the home. And, and so we're, we're attached to the idea that we have to put it away, you know, and so I, I think detachment is so important. Detachment of what others think, detachment of what the home, you know, detachment of like the perfection and just being detached from whatever it's not, because I think we're constantly comparing ourselves to others and are comparing our home to others. And there's a reference, like I always say, like, what's your reference point? <laughs> what's your reference point? Because really, if we could just focus on where we are and make it the best it can be. And it, and it's a lot about taking. That lens of the other off because I think a lot of times because we have catalogs and magazines and TV shows we're inside people's homes. I think our grandmothers did not have this; they were inside a couple of, and a couple of neighbors and that's it. And then there was the TV sets, like a, like a set, like the art, like the, like the, like, the, like the house. But that's it. There weren't these. I mean, we see thousands of home. I see thousands of home images, maybe even a day, maybe a week, depending on how my iPhone consumption. But there's <laughs> so much more. Like insight into other people's homes. And we think that now when we're looking at home, we're looking at through the eye of an observer and we have to turn that off. If you're having guests over, if you're having a party, yeah, put the uh, put that lens back on. Imagine their experience through your home. Take care of them through the senses. But that's different than constantly living in this idea that we're looking at our home through the lens of others. Because that, that is like a straitjacket. Because yeah, if you're looking yeah. at, you're trying to please future guests, future home buyer of your it, you can't do anything. You really are then just, you just can do this. You just a ga- can do, A guardian yeah. of the furniture. <laughs> yeah, like it, then it be, right. And then I'll, of course, nobody can make anything dirty or make a mess or- like, yeah. yeah,
0: it's yeah. not relaxing. You don't feel welcome actually because it no. feel like you're in a museum or something.
1: Yeah, and that was a big shift. And I mean, I have three sons and they're two years apart and they're like, they're still- I mean, the one's oldest is 14 and a half. It's still like a constant wrestling match and they're, they're like cavemen and, you know, I mean, I'm sure you have, do um, you have six girls? Or no? I've got, I've got four girls and two boys. Four girls, okay. Like, this is I, in just, my motherhood, very attached to the way my house looks. I wanted it a certain way. I like breakables, I'm a maximalist. I like a lot of things. I love glass. Um, I have collections. I like tons of stuff on the walls. Um, and I have three sons. <laughs> I have three sons who are very active, and they're very big. I'm 6'1", uh, my oldest is 14, he's already a couple inches taller than me, they're all big, and so this idea, like, and actually, I have. I, I, there's a story that's um I've told on Instagram, but I had a very, very formal living room when we first moved into the house I'm in now, glass coffee table, all my things, like collections, it was weird, and cool, and, and, and elegant, in my opinion, and Ornate and full of stuff, and they would go in there. I almost have like a heart attack because I was just like, not that any one thing I was attached to, but the whole thing I was attached to. I was attached to the whole idea, Mm -hmm. and it just struck me that I cannot have this room. I, I can't have it. It's it doesn't make any sense. But we need the room, and so I went through this whole process of like this. Our family needs a different room. What do we need? It's not this. It's not a formal living room. This is, by the way, it had a beautiful backlit bar. I'm sober. Like, I was like, what am I doing? Why did I create this space? <laughs> um, you know, my husband and I love the idea of an adult space. And we had little, little children. But as they got bigger, I'm like, oh my God. This yeah. So I completely revamped the room. It's a family space now. It's so fun. We use it every second of the day. The kids play video games in there, which I, I hate video games. But, but, they, <laughs> but that's what we they do. Like them. <laughs> They're very attached. They're, but my point is that it went through this sort of, this process of like, if I'm looking through the eye of like a visitor or someone I want to impress or like the beauty that I, I want to present to the world. That's what guided that room in its first iteration, but then actually looking in reflecting who my family really is. I don't have a couple like girls or boys who are poets and want to read in the corner. I don't have that. I have like one plays football, one plays lacrosse one, you know, so we now have a room where if they dive on each other in this room, it's fine. Yeah. It's a soft yeah. space to land. <laughs> it's a- giant sectional we know there's no glass glass coffee table there's but it's also i made it to me I, it's aesthetically interesting and i there's art and there's colors and there's draperies like the other flip side is like well you have kids just phone it in like get a yard sale couch and just close the door and don't look at it well that's not how i live either i look at everything yeah
0: i, I like that's a really- nice home i like a house to be to be aesthetically pleasing but it I like it tidy too <clears throat> but I've grown to not let it consume me yes I've grown to be able to invite people in even if it's messy and I think I think that takes a lot of growth a lot of maturity um, a lot of detachment
1: well also I've grown to, this idea of aesthetically pleasing is very very broad for me very very <laughs> it's very broad in my house and it's very broad in terms of what I see that is pleasing. It's not just this straight jacket of what I see in catalogs or on HGTV or on Instagram. It's very broad. And when you really study what design across the ages, but also like geographically across the globe, and then even in terms of age spans, like what a 20 year old, is, twenty-five. It's there's a lot in that camp. It's a big tent. And Sometimes I think women think, well, it's just what I see here. And maybe Joanna Gaines is this big design star here. And she just does this. No, 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 no. <laughs> it may have. And when with children, it, it's going to look different than you yourself. If I wasn't a mother and I lived by myself, I absolutely would have that room I had. You
0: know? Yeah. But I don't.
1: But I don't. And I'm so happy I don't. Yeah.
0: You know? so, so can we talk about your, how your faith now influences your idea of home? has that how has that evolved how has it changed what do you do I saw something the other day I don't know whether it was me just trawling through your page or it it was recent but you um put your bible where you think it but you know it belongs and that is open in the center of your home and I just thought I am going to do that thank you Paige that is beautiful
1: I love it it certainly has been a long journey and the Lord has been very patient with me because as I shared, I think just yesterday, uh, there was a time when I thought the Bible, Bible was either a total waste of time or perhaps bad for us. Like I, I had no, I, as I said, I grew up not only with, in a secular way, but with an antagonism towards the church and antagonism towards Christianity. He was very patient with me and I slowly, I actually uh, co-authored a book with a woman named Victoria Durstock. We wrote a book called Revived and Renovated. And it's about the the journey of the home, but also the journey on on us, and how there are really there's so many parallels between our journey with God and then our journey with like re- fixing up a room and redecorating or renovating. And she she is um, a Baptist woman. She was able to recall and recite verses like, <laughs> like yeah, that's so any, impressive. For any circumstance, <laughs> in, any moment, it was all over my head. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so I was really interested. And so there's a podcast called the Bible in the Year podcast, with which is a, done by Catholic priests. And I did all, it took me 18 months. It was not a Bible in the Year. It was a Bible in 18 months, but.
0: Probably in a year and a
1: half. And <laughs> I did it and it really changed my life. I mean, it really changed. I was already sort of beginning to feel like, you know, I just don't like standard interior design media. I don't like it. It's pushy. It's materialistic. It's elitist. It's totally unhinged from like, any kind of values or virtues. It's 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 really like well, you know, very commercial, commercially driven, marketplace driven.
0: Yeah. It's hedonistic.
1: <laughs> it is hedonistic. It yeah. is hedonistic. It is. I mean, I it's and it's 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 very much um I want to put my best face forward for the world for what? I mean, like like what is the what? Like what do you get from, from it's business?
0: my it's what they it's where their value comes where their worth comes from yeah,
1: yeah. Mm. it is and it's very hollow and i i've i've been there i mean that that story yeah. i told you the living room was very much about deeply wanting to get the grade from the outside world from my work as opposed to the purpose of the work and so the question was like about faith is really reconnecting me with the purpose and mission of the home Also, this also connects to the purpose of mission and mission of my life, my vocation. I mean, I was raised to be probably like a superhuman investment banker. I was not raised to be a wife and mother. I was raised to try to choose to do the best you can in school to get the most high paying job. Hopefully, you'll meet some guy who has the same idea somewhere along the way. And yeah, kids are in there somewhere. I don't know. They just come. But like, no, that it was very much like my vocation as a wife and mother was, was not present to. I didn't even hear about it. Um, and again, I wasn't open to it. So I'm sure my mother said, listen, let, you know, she was a wonderful mother and, and my grandmother was wonderful but I, I feel like the culture was just so present as directing me elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I really didn't hear any of that. Um, and so you know, that's really understanding my vocation. My job is not just to make the house pretty, not just to make it up to date, not just to make it attractive for others but actually to make it a place of learning, to make it a place of ministry, to make it a place of connection with my husband, um, to make it a a, a teaching place for children. And so it changes everything when you think about that. And I think I'm passionate about that. Let's look at it differently. Actually, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah. Um, Sort of something we see out there, but we're coming in as your mission and your purpose and it's driven there. And yes, we need to be beautiful. Absolutely. But it's beautiful in a different way. You're drawn to, to creating beauty a little bit differently when your objective is like to teach your children well, to connect with your spouse, to be ready for hospitality in a very Christian sense, right? So not hosp- like I found a 1950s hospitality book at a thrift store and it really was about the show. Yeah. It's like, we're going to open the curtain and you're going to dazzle your guests. Well, that's not, yeah. I have been there too. I have. Tried very hard to dazzle people <laughs> yeah is not, you know I know I'm not interested in that I'm interested in like hosting someone and revealing who I am to them and seeing if that's what God wants yeah um, it's very madman isn't it you know the show Mad Men. oh yeah yeah it is very madman yeah. yeah
0: and and we're still doing it today really but but in a um in a different way but still Opening the curtain, I love that. Opening the curtaining and, curtain and dazzling your guests, like it's you're putting on a performance.
1: Uh, th- that that <laughs> metaphor was throughout this entire entertainment book. It was unbelievable about how it's about impressing the guests and what what to do and what not to do to present this unbelievable aloof, life. You know, thing, and don't do this because they, you know. And it's just not about that. And I and I, my dad owned a bar and a restaurant, so you know, catering and and making a meal and making a party, there was a right way and a wrong way. But even it really was about like, we don't want anyone's cup empty. We don't want anyone We want to make sure there's plenty of food because (laughs) so I feel like I I did have my head on straight with that, like that. It's not the show. It is about serving others and maybe even being obsessive about, if anything, making sure that there's plenty of food and chairs and drinks and ice, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's not too hot or it's not too cold. There's music that there's plenty of people to talk to that want to talk to each other. You know, like I'm sort of obsessive about the experience a little bit, but now I see it just differently. I, I, I heard actually someone say the other day, invite someone over um, so they can see what's on your walls. Yeah. Um, and I got a lot of religious art and I, I've had, I had a newspaper editor come over to interview me a couple of years ago and she walked in and she said, Oof, you are awfully religious. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh, I, I never, it, it never been called that. And as a convert, and I think- it and how did that make you feel? Were
0: you embarrassed? Did you want to like shrink? Or were you
1: quite proud? I mean, it actually made me mad because that's never a compliment in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, certainly wasn't a compliment that day. And she didn't publish a, a story about me. Um, and so, you know, I made me feel like, I feel like, and my approach to religious art is that it's not there so I can show you how religious I am. It's actually very intentional so that I can be reminded of yeah. Christ's sacrifice, that I can be reminded of the Blessed Mother in my life. I have the Blessed Mother right, right in front of a mirror when I first walk in, because I, I don't need any more time in front of me. So I have her in front of the mirror. And I have other things in my house that I just, I'm really, really drawn to for their utility, not just sort of show, well, every Catholic home should have this and that and that. Yeah, I don't. I don't ascribe to that. Um, it has to be really useful. And anyway, so that so it made me mad, but I also understand. Um, yeah. It's a, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I have quite. I have our lady on our front table in front of a mirror too, um, in our house, because I I want I don't I want Catholic art to be beautiful, but and and because not that kitsch kind of you know. Horrific, uh, you know the the white statue and very, you know, with maybe with some painted lips and a, a blue painted veil. I want I want religious art to be beautiful and to be admired. Um, so I have a lot, all, all different types, all around my house, um, and I do kind of get raised eyebrows every. Now, and I've got I now have a statue in the garden because I was always quite against statue you know the, the garden statues but she's beautiful and she's under a tree and um
1: but I've noticed when I first saw my husband Francis is, is Catholic my husband's Catholic and, and he grew up in a, in, a, in a faith-filled home and his siblings had all really retained their faith and he did not he was a lapsed Catholic and I always joke around we never would have made dated <laughs> if he was a fully-fledged Catholic we never would have made I would never have gone out um but he God, God redeems all things. God <laughs> redeems all things, and the timing is essential. um He wanted us together. So, so, but I when I first met my sisters-in-law and I saw Mary's in the garden and I was like, what is this? Like, yeah, so weird and so not attractive. Not that it was not attractive, but it was like, does it really need to be there? Like, yeah. I'm not used to seeing faith inserted into a composition. I'm used to seeing it blank blank of that, you know, removed of that. If you look in a magazine, this is why I wrote my first book. If you look in a magazine, the person's faith is not in the story. Yeah. If I think they do a spread on someone, you'll never see someone's faith unless it's like an Eastern religion or something where it's it's very pop. I don't know, there's a Buddha, but, but very rarely would you see any evidence of Christianity. It's been kind of sent and 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 likewise with ethnicity or 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 sort of our any kind of any kind of specificity is kind of taken out. And so that kind of spe- I was like what you know, when I first saw that, but now I have two Mary statues on our, on our, one in the front, one in the back. I'm like, this is, now I'm fully fledged cap. Like I got a Mary statue, but in the back, it's so beautiful. And it's, Francis is big into lighting. So he lit her up. So when I'm doing dishes, I see her in the corner of my eye, when I need to see her, when I'm like, I can't do another dish. I can't do another thing. I, I am so tired. And I see her lit up and I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Mary. Um,
0: well, what does, what do your family think of you now?
1: I think that's a good question. I, I I think they, they probably think a little bit about me the way I thought about my sisters-in-law when I first met them. I think they, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think my, first of all, no one can understand like 12-step recovery. It changes you on the inside out. There's actually not one cell in my body that's the same. I mean, everything's been re- <laughs> re-named. Rewired wired and 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 being led by that and being giving that tremendous gift I mean I don't exaggerate when I say that I would not be here I wanted to die I don't I, I wanted to be either so soaked with alcohol or so full of food that I did I just wasn't here anymore and that was the only thing that I could sort of rely on is that feeling of just and then of course the profound regret after that which is why it's so self-destructive but Uh, the fact that I was pulled out of that and that I am married and I have four children, I have a career, I live in a home is miraculous. And so the fact that I've been led into the church with that, that kind of has fueled me in and to an openness, um, an openness to all that Jesus has said, done and taught. And so to me, I look like there's a profound openness. I don't have any kind of misgivings. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I I agree. Well, no, no, I, I'm in, (laughs) you know, like, saved my life i'm in and you know i don't think my family's there yet but i also know it's my job not to hide where i am you know
0: yeah how beautiful um can i well welcome home (laughs) welcome home um can i ask why why did you want to die why did you feel what was driving your addiction can we go there
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've done some recent work about, um, you know, I, and this is an emotional move for me to express well, and I'm not going to express this well. So I apologize in advance to you and to anyone listening, but I do feel like God was giving me a very big task to just write a different story for Mm -hmm. me, for me and for my children. And it was really hard and so there was like this task that I was before me and I couldn't see it yet, but I could see all of the turmoil and all of the angst and all of the discomfort with being who I was. You know, everything was profoundly uncomfortable as many of us feel on earth because this is not our final home. You know, this is, um, but I feel like I felt that in a very acute sense. I now know that a lot of that discomfort was like this heavy burden too really do something very, very new. And I say to my kids all the time, <laughs> I have a big task with you. I take it very seriously and I'm making it up as I go along. <laughs> so <laughs> bear with me, bear with me. We're doing something new here. And I, I take that very seriously. Um, and I do feel like there was, in my lineage generations back, there was a faith, but at some point it died. And I do feel like God, Task me to bring it back yeah it, it does feel like I'm at that foundation in your backyard like where are the builders where is it where is it it's but it's there's something there but it's my job to put the walls up and put the windows in and make sure the plumbing works and it's hard and with my husband with Francis yeah. and I um he so is the
0: master there. builder and he's doing something he had to renovate he had to knock it down But he didn't knock it down completely. You you know, like they kind of leave up some structural wall. yeah. And he's creating something so beautiful with you. So beautiful. It is so beautiful. Um, Thank you for sharing that.
1: Well, thanks for asking that. And as I heard myself, I I almost when reminded that the Lord is the builder. I'm the worker. (laughs) So sometimes I feel like I'm in this burden to really make something new truth is I have to be present to it. I can't fight it. I, I need to be open to it. I need to be open to his will. But that's it. I, I'm i not the builder. I like to be the builder. Yeah. <laughs> right. I like to be the yeah. one doing nothing. He
0: is the master builder. He's he he, you yeah. you're the canvas. You're the slab. You're the concrete slab. And you just have to your fear. You just have to let him build. We can't keep trying to construct because our walls crumble. They fall down. And it's like just just let me build the mansion, the castle. It's not going to be a cottage that we, you know, we could only build the cottage. He wants to build something so much better and bigger in you, for you. Um, and it's so it's, it's so humbling, but so freeing to be that concrete slab, just waiting for, him, for the master builder to turn up and do his thing because he does it so much better.
1: And that, actually that metaphor I learned in recovery too, because there are so many recovery tasks you have to do every day and they seem tiny and stupid and menial and monotonous and bleh, but they're like these teeny little bricks and then the teeny little bricks form a bigger brick and then many teeny, and then you have many bricks that form a wall, but like, that's the only way to do it. You don't get the wall at once. Like they, there's a, pr- expression like AA is a million dollar program, you get it a nickel at a time. <laughs> you know, and then I think the faith life is like, I just don't think, I think the home life is like that too, you know, like building a healthy family, building a, a, a faith, a faith-driven life, you know, a, a, a Christian family, you're doing it one meal at a time, one sweep up at a time, one kiss goodnight at a time,
0: mm-hmm. one,
1: you know, one struggle at a time, one, one peanut butter
0: sandwich at a time.
1: Right. right, one box lunch at a time, you know, all these things that's like, and I think our culture tends to say, oh, outsource it, mail it in, whatever. But no, I mean, I, I just, I have to see the merit and the value in all these tasks. I may be capable of doing other things than a peanut butter sandwich, but that is cool. To me right now. Mm. And to that child, it's very important. My kids love peanut butter and chocolate chip sandwiches. Actually, What? Peanut butter and chocolate chips. Well, I, I have a very picky son, and I so I try to find the healthiest bread I can find, and then we put peanut butter, and then instead of jelly, we do chocolate chips, and he loves it.
0: <laughs> well, my son, my youngest son, has just discovered that Americans call jam, we call it jam, but you call it jelly, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's very fussy as well. So the last two days, he's been asking for peanut butter and jam sandwiches, because that's what Americans eat. He's been eating his sandwiches. <laughs> I'm not telling him about the chocolate chips.
1: <laughs> that does it is veering into dessert category, but I don't know. I'm sometimes like sugar is sugar, but but I, I don't know. He likes it, and it's it's it works, and it's like he needed one yesterday. So. Oh
0: man, but that, that's a that's another level. <laughs> I heard a, a friend of mine the other day because her husband was away for the weekend, and she said. You know what I made for dinner? I went to the fishmonger. I bought a dozen oysters, a bottle of champagne. I went home and watched *Pride and Prejudice* in bed with oysters and champagne. Oh, wow! I, I want to do that. You can't do that, but you can have you can
1: have some fish. I have a version. I have a, I have a version of that. I have a version I could do. It wouldn't even be *Pride and Prejudice*. I know it's like, it would be a I love my favorite movie um what movie we didn't hear can you set, can you
0: move on that side of the microphone every time you yeah every time okay. you move the other side it, it goes funny what I movie? I
1: move all over the place when I talk there's a French movie called Amelie
0: ah yes chocolate is that the one with the ch-
1: no that chocolate I think it's a different one but it's, a, it's got a similar vibe to it yeah. but Amelie yeah. is um it's just beautiful and I would do that and I'm great for a mocktail too. I just like something in a pretty glass. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Hello. yeah. Well, uh, the chocolate chips is just another level. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to say um, thank you for sharing that. Cause that was really beautiful. And he really is doing something amazing with your life. And nothing is in the economy of god nothing is wasted and the prayers of your mother-in-law and the sisters um they can see the fruit of their prayers and their labor and there is there's a story that's being written in your family you know because there's a reason for everything and he's making everything new and you know it, you can feel it. I know you know it.
1: <laughs> well, I think that was a very insightful question. Like, why did you eat the way you did or drank the way you did? Or why did you, why, are you, why were you self destructive in so many ways? I think that's a question that many of us ask ourselves, even if we're not in a program or maybe it's not so bad that we're, you know, needing help. But why do we do these things? And I think, I don't think we can linger too much in the why, but just to have confidence that there is a reason. It's not just that we, love food or love alcohol or or lack self-control it's not just that we're weak but that there's a pain there there's a there's a hunger there there's something else there and i know for me there was a deep and profound hunger for god that i actually i needed something to magnetize me toward god because i wasn't there (laughs) i wasn't looking for him i didn't know about you know there was i needed some kind of pull and in my story it was my brokenness Hmm. you know this deep deep broken part um That was actually what led me. So I, in some ways, I'm very grateful that I had that story because that is actually, that was my magnet to God. I needed help.
0: Beautiful one. And did your husband follow you or had he already, has he come back to the faith?
1: He has. I mean, believe it or not, like nobody believes this, but we really did have two very separate journeys. Um, He came back to the church through a men's retreat and then a men's group at our church. He really needs fellowship. I mean, this man really... (laughs) he cannot just look at the back of heads and pews. Like he has to have fellowship. And so he found his own way back and yeah, I think we, our journeys encouraged each other, hmm. but it's, it felt like in our own way, if that makes sense.
0: GK Chesterton says our homes are the great theater where the drama of our lives unfold. Hmm. And that's, it's, it's so lovely to hear your drama, your story um and your husbands but we all have our own separate stories um and that and I think that is why home is so sacred it's
1: well it is and it's it's I think the stories are all unique in particular and a lot of times we maybe try to cover them up or try to like put them put them away like get rid of it like the vestiges of a a hard part I don't feel that way um I actually in some ways in talking about that I probably need a few more details of life, uh, my early life, but I have a piece of art that reminds me of myself at my hardest, lowest time. And I have it in my bedroom and I love it. I look at this girl's face and I'm like, my goodness. You know, first of all, thank you, Lord, that I'm not her right now because I could be. Um, but that also that that's that there's a lot of hope in her and a lot of pain. Um so I think that's a story that's a piece of the story. Like that's not like the highlight reel that <laughs> it's the low light reel, but it's still worth telling.
0: Totally worth telling because it it reveals something. It it allows you to um, remind you how far you've come, how is where grace has played a part in your life, mm-hmm. um, sure. and that is so humbling. And it it allows you that to be grateful. I think I think gratitude is paramount. I mean I. Even though I think the most painful things are the are the places where uh, the um, the story is most beautiful. Even though when you're going through them, it, it doesn't feel beautiful. I remember commenting there was a there was an Instagrammer a few years ago, and she had they're from Utah. You know how they have those amazingly beautiful big families and they're all. They all they're all blonde and they all look anyway. They're ha- they were building this incredible home and it like it was stone home and it was huge. It was stunning and it burnt down. And she had a picture of it burning in flames. And I sent her a message and said that that is so beautiful. Um, because well, it, because I said there, there's such beauty in suffering, and she wrote back saying there is nothing beautiful about this picture <laughs> and I, I I thought oh I'm sorry I, I didn't mean to offend you but I just wanted you to know that that is heartbreaking but it looked beautiful like the picture was actually beautiful with the colors and the night sky and I wanted to convey that suffering is beautiful, but she didn't see it that way. And I can see she was hurting and her house had been burnt down. And of course it didn't look beautiful and I shouldn't have said it, but it looks, it it was beautiful. It was such a beautiful picture. Um, And it just, it was probably for me and not for her, but it reminded me because I was going through quite a tough time when that was happening, and I was suffering, and it showed me that suffering is beautiful. Um, but she couldn't see it, and I don't blame her. I shouldn't, but it was just—it was just a really lovely thing for me to see how he showed me through her pain that beauty is, the suffering is beautiful. Um, I don't know how we got onto that. But.
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's a very Catholic. Um... Well, it seems like it's a Catholic teaching, a Catholic idea, that the way we see and experience and know suffering. I actually just heard before we got on today that God is already in these, like we, if we imagine hard circumstances or our own house burning down or, or losing someone, like we're imagining these things, like God's already there. If that's in our future, God's already there with us in it. And for some reason, that gave me a lot of comfort. And I was thinking about that when you said that. I mean, God was with her. We're not able to see that. Um, unless we're in hindsight sometimes but, mm. but again yeah, I mean, it, it, jesus is in our suffering and again it, like that's sometimes the times where we need him connect with Him, know him see him the clearest are in those dark moments i mean when we're really comfort or comfortable like drinking wine out of balls you <laughs> right um we don't we're not even looking yeah um yeah 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 but
0: yeah that's He was there and he loved you. He he loved you. He couldn't love you any more than he does now back then. Like he still loved you the same when you were drinking wine out of bowls. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is just he loved you as much as he could whilst you were drinking wine out of bowls as he does now as this, you know, beautiful, healthy mum with you know, her faith on fire and our lady at the front and at the back of the house, you know, he loved you back then as much as he does today. And that to me is just, blows my mind.
1: It does. No, it does. And that's, that's also sobering, if you will, because it's not like I've, there's a, there's a way to earn more of his love by being a good girl. Mm -hmm. Um, If anything, I have to remind myself, like I, like days, like this conversation we're having right now and other opportunities where I can share his story. That's, his will for me. And I have to be sober and healthy to have this conversation. Right. But that that's not about earning more, right. It's not about earning more. It's more about, for me, like showing up for just what he's given me and what he's off and sharing it and being honest about it. Like I said to somebody else, how could I not have religious order? How could I not talk about God? He's the reason for everything. <laughs> it would be like, to me, that's our deal, you know, is that, um, I'm pretty plain about how I got here and, and who's responsible.
0: Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, Paige, can you tell us what your books are called um, sure. and, and where people can find you?
1: Sure. So my first book is called Love the House You're In. I wrote it as I was discerning becoming a Catholic and it's uh, 40 ways to improve your house and change your life. And it's a quick read, a, a pictureless read, but it's, it's about really mining the self for ideas for the home. Uh, and and then my other book is called Revived and Renovated. And I co-wrote that with Victoria Durstock. And that is again, a, a really the Christian journey and the journey as a homemaker, a home creator. It's, it's how they, the parallels both on Amazon. Um, you can find me on Instagram because I spend too much time there. Um,
0: <laughs> That's where I found sharing, you.
1: <laughs> sharing Sharing family stuff on stories and trying to really inspire people in my feed as much as I can. Um, I love a good counter-cultural rant. So <laughs> sometimes I remember that.
0: And your feed is, what's your um, handle?
1: It's at page Ryan. So it's my, my Ryan is spelled funny. It's R-I-E-N.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but at page Ryan is where you can.
0: I'll, I'll put them all in the show notes.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, tonight. Um, Paige, before we finish, I always ask my guests something that brought them joy this week. Can you think of anything that brought you joy?
1: You know, we went, apple picking which is not a thing we do <laughs> and it just happened uh, and I have teenagers who didn't want to go and attitude and they were missing football whatever but there were just moments in the sunshine when my boys had apples in their shirt you know carrying them and it was just so beautiful so joyful um and so yeah just the willingness to press on and do family stuff and yeah really that comes from that it was great
0: especially when you're they're missing out on football <laughs>
1: especially but once we were there in the sunshine and the apples the, I and mean, they were delighted um yeah. so
0: I always find that you, you get the you get the resistance they don't want to do it they don't want to go on a bush walk. we did the same in 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 autumn we went apple picking and they didn't want to go but they they loved it
1: yeah and we
0: had to take yeah. out a mortgage to pay for all the apples because we got so many
1: Oh yeah, I know. Actually, I have to do something with mine today because they're going to rot and that's going to make me really mad.
0: <laughs> so, I, I stewed them and they were really yummy.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a good something. That's, yeah. that's going to yeah. be even worse because we also paid an arm and a leg for this giant bushel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. Your story is inspiring and beautiful and I'm so grateful that you uh, joined us today on the podcast. So thank I'm
1: so honoured, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me and it was a wonderful conversation. Yeah, lovely.